0: You're listening to the Nerds on Earth podcast. If you like the Marvel Cinematic Universe or role-playing games like D&D, Starfinder, or board games like Zombicide and Wingspan, or comic books like X-Men or The Avengers or Star Wars, plus all sorts of nerdy things all in between, then Nerds on Earth is the place for you. This time we're interviewing Rick Sandage of the Find a Path podcast, a great show that is playing through the Mummy's Mask adventure path for the Pathfinder role playing game. Welcome nerds. Well hello Rick, how are you? I'm doing all right, Clave. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for chatting with me. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so for folks who don't know, you are Rick from Find the Path podcast and Nerds on Earth. We discovered you guys or you discovered us. I don't know how it happened, but through that, we we developed a friendship and now you and I chat frequently in the Nerds on Earth Slack channel. But... I swear, I think this is the first time that we've actually talked voice-to-voice.
1: Yes, this is our first, uh, well, not face-to-face, but (laughs) quasi-face-to-face conversation. (laughs) Uh, So this is fun. This is fun for me, just getting to, to
0: talk with you. But mainly, I wanted folks to get to know you because... If folks do listen to find the path, they realize that you do not like talking about yourself. (laughs) Uh, You do not like attention, but I'm going to pour attention on you anyway, because you are just a fantastic uh, GM. So I wanted folks to be able to listen to to you and to get some thoughts on GMing and, and just to be introduced to you and, you know, what you bring to the hobby. So before we get into that, there is one question I like to ask everybody. All right. Which is essentially, what's your origin story? How, how did you
1: how did you become a nerd? How did I? Oh, that's, uh, I guess, jumping the way back machine here. <laughs> I grew up in a, a small town here in Texas where there wasn't a whole lot of nerdy activities to be engaged in. And uh, I've discovered a love of video games. I think that's how a lot of people get into the hobby now is a love of computer RPGs. And so through that, I just kind of developed from there. I had a uh, a cousin who introduced me to Dungeons & Dragons, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Ah, AD&D. Yes, I made a, a Halfling Thief back when Thief was still an option for a class. Uh, that lasted one session, and then I made a Human Paladin. Ah. And that lasted much longer. Lawful good. Yep. Yeah, from there I discovered uh, I kind of fell out of the hobby for a little bit. I jumped back in after Baldur's Gate back in the day reintroduced me to the, oh, absolutely. the wonders of AD&D. Ah, I love it so much. The game's awesome. That and uh, Planescape Torment, but I won't go off on a tangent there. That kind of brought me back into it. And so I jumped back in when 3.0 came out, because that was a little bit after that. And then played 3.0, 3.5, played a little bit of fourth edition. But I was a big fan of the Dungeon and Dragon magazines. Ah. When those were. Me too. Those were still being put out back by Paizo Publishing back then. And when I found out that they were making their own system, I jumped ship over to Pathfinder and haven't really looked back since. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, that's that's a great story and just such a turning point in the world of tabletop role-playing games. Is I, I love that so many folks are getting into 5e now. I think it's great that it's growing, but people overlook just how good Paizo was at the end of the era of Dungeon and Dragon Magazine and just the shift into what they developed with the adventure paths. It was just so good and such a turning point in the hobby, I think.
1: Yes, and, well, and their world building is phenomenal setting, and their adventures are some of the best out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was just going to say, let's talk about them a little bit. So when did you, what was the first AP, when I say AP, I mean adventure path, so Paizo Adventure Path, what was the first one that you ran together with your crew, and what adventures have you ran?
1: Well, the... Heather and I, and a separate group from our current crew, ran the Shackled City Adventure Path, which was in the Dungeon Magazine days.
0: Yeah, that's old school.
1: And we ran through that. I ran through some of Age of Worms. I sadly never got a chance to run through the uh, the third one, oh, which the name of it escapes me at the moment. But the first one that I ran through the group as a whole, Curse of the Crimson Throne. Oh, Another great one, which is phenomenal, especially the the revamped version that they put out with the expanded mm-hmm. fifth book is phenomenal. So I can't advise that one high enough.
0: Yeah, between Rise of the Rune Lords and and Crimson Throne, those were a couple great storylines. If you're into meat and potatoes classic storylines at this point, and Paizo's done a good job of now they have the hardback.
1: Yes, the special editions. Uh, I've run I've run Rise of the Rune Lords in its entirety three times. <laughs> And I'm going to say for three different groups, to be clear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not the same group three times through. <laughs> You're like, we like it so much, we're just doing it again. That's got to be my top. That's got to be my favorite adventure path.
0: Yeah. All right. So we, we talked about the Find a Path crew, a couple names are coming out. You, so Jessica, Jordan, Heather, and Rachel.
1: Mm-hmm. That's the, the we use the word cast, the cast, the players. I use the term crew a lot because they they do a lot outside of just being voices on the channel. They do a lot for the channel behind the scenes. So I usually use the term crew.
0: Yeah. So what I love, well, one of the things I love about listening to the Find the Path podcast is you guys clearly like each other. I mean, it's so (laughs) fun. You, it's not just that you laugh at each other, but you just giggle at one another, um, which just shows how much you enjoy one another. And so, gosh, I mean, how many millions of D&D think pieces are there about table fill and how, what do you do about this problem player or whatever <laughs> article that, that you've read? But um, what I love about Find the Path is that you genuinely seem to enjoy one another. So I'd love to hear the story about, you know, how you found one another and and what the folks bring to the pod.
1: Well, yeah, I've known Heather since high school. I've known her the longest of anyone else in the crew. And we played games together pretty much since then, which uh, she'll hate me saying this. It's about 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, man, you're not older than me, so I can go, go, go for it. Yeah, so we've been playing since high school, and I met Rachel through a mutual friend. She moved away. She taught uh, English in Korea for a while, South Korea. Okay, and we connected while she was over there, and she was over there with her best friend, which is Jessica. And when she got back, invited her to a game, and invited Jessica along with her. And so she and Jordan had just started dating, so added them in, and then eventually I invited Heather to uh, join the group, and that was the that was the whole of us. So. A lot of it is just, we've all known one another for a long period of time. In Rachel and Jessica's case, so they have a lot of inside jokes between the two of them. And then <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Jordan is just a very personable guy, so he brings <laughs> in a lot of his humor. and uh, Slid right in. And everyone brings their own different flavor to the channel. Jessica and her very quick one-liners. Jordan and his oftentimes a little off-the-wall, sillier characters. Rachel kind of grounds the role-playing and... Heather comes up with usually the uh, the hardliner character that kind of brings everyone back in. <laughs> so which is
0: which is a nice character to have. Yeah, a, a little bit of sandpaper against some of the others is is good. Yeah, what's great. I mean, what a gift that you guys get to play together, really, and yeah, and you you share that gift with us through recording
1: it. Yeah, and it's and everyone else out there. I mean, you start a, a project like this, and you know, your first concern is the haters and the detractors and such. But no, our, our community that has grown up around this podcast, that's grown up around this story, have been some of the best people I've ever had the pleasure and the honor of making their acquaintance. And I just look forward to getting a chance to meet more of them in the coming years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you mentioned just briefly Rachel's role play. And so I want, I want to talk about Rachel a little bit because, man, she is such an asset at the table. And so she's just got this great instinct. And one one thing that's great about role-playing games is everyone just goes off on side tangents and they're giggling and they're talking. And that's part of the fun, right? Mm-hmm. But She has such a great instinct about pulling those conversations back into the core of the story. And she does it in such a natural and gentle way <laughs> where she just goes right into her character voice. And then suddenly the rest of the table is like, oh, oh yeah, we <laughs> we forgot. This is what we were supposed to be doing. So I'd love to just have you talk about her for a little bit and what she brings. And is that something that you two plan or is that just an instinct that she's good at and you go
1: with? Well, Rachel is a, you know, she's an English teacher for starters. And so she, I think she has uh a built-in desire to, to bring in group activities, to bring everyone to the table from just years of teaching unruly high school students, which I'm going to hope that by comparison, we're a little bit easier to deal with.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly
1: and so kind of keeping everyone focused on that and there's a lot of times that while Heather and Jordan are going off on their their nerdy tangents or morality debate between Heather and Jessica that a lot of times I'll see Rachel sitting there watching what's going on absorbing the information and then bringing it steering everyone back in so she's a definite asset to have to the table and, and keeps everyone focused on the role-playing side of things.
0: Yeah. I mean, she's almost... She, in in ways, she almost becomes an assistant GM. Yes. <laughs> which which is so great. I, I can just see how it... And it's subtle. And it's subtle and it's so gentle how she does it, but it allows you to not have to worry about that one thing of always bringing it back. You can, you can worry about other things.
1: Definitely. definitely. And I think a desire to know all of the other characters backstory drives a lot of her role-playing where she's just trying to pull yeah on yours backstory out of him by his teeth sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. All right. This is the, this is the part where you don't like, uh, we're, we're going to pivot and talk directly about you, Uh which I, which I know you love (laughs) you as a GM specifically, or gosh, the one thing that you're just fantastic at are your, your flavor descriptions. (laughs) Thank you. And just the way, uh, every piece of combat, you just great where it's just like, and you sidestep and it's a vicious strike. There's always the word (laughs) vicious in there, which I love. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's, It's so great. And what I love about them is that they're simple. Mm. And they're brief. It's usually it's usually just a phrase or at most uh, a couple phrases. Right. And I think what's so great about that is, gosh, not to call in, you know, other... We've all listened to them where it seems like the, the DM just took an online creative writing class and they right. just get these overwrought flowery nonsense descriptions. The purple prose, yeah. <laughs> the Purple Pros, the Chris Claremont from the from the '80s X Men. Which so is that a skill uh, that you have intentionally tried to hone? Is that just is that just who you are, and you just found you had a natural talent for kind of these succinct quips? Or let's talk about that a little bit.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it is something that I've developed over the nearly two decades that I've been running games, I've kind of always just held to the adage that if it's worth spending an action on, it's worth spending a sentence describing the action. Yeah, that's
0: a, that's great.
1: I think it adds a level of uh, of immersion to the world. And I found that I've stepped it up a great deal in the, the podcast and thereby extension in my other games, just because I can't show people right what's happening. I can't. You don't have a, a battle mat in front of you mm-hmm. where you can just see it. So you have to add in all of those descriptions and flavor text. And the other half of it is a lot of times outside of combat. I'll use it for a little bit of filler time where I'll start saying things where I'm just describing someone walking down the road because I'm, in the meantime, reading through <laughs> the book and preparing the next <laughs> section. I do it a lot of times to buy time if, there, if suddenly someone's like, you know, I think I'm going to stop by an alchemy shop. And I'm like, oh, well. Great. Yeah. As you make your way down the street, the sun beating down on you and all the rest of this, just to try to buy myself some time to look up what the name of the alchemy shop is.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is, which is much better than the ums and the likes and the stuttering that, that could come from that.
1: Yes. We're all a little guilty of that. We all have our filler words. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. It, It makes us human. It's fine. It's
1: true. Yeah.
0: All right. So the same thing on skills, skill checks, gosh, you're so good at skill checks and you know, the pathfinder system, that's one of the great thing. I, I love the skill point system of the Pathfinder system, and you can just really customize a character, and you can you can create a skill monkey. You can, or for Jordan's case, with Sudi seemingly have no skills <laughs> in so many of the skills checks, and he's like, "Oh, untrained, I don't have that." But talk about skill checks for a little bit, because mm-hmm. you're a master at that as well. And is that something that's come from practice, or has that been an area that you just naturally drifted?
1: Uh, Some of it's come from practice. Uh, Like you were just saying, I I love the skill system. I find it's uh, it's a fairly elegant way to kind of sum up what a character can do in the world. Yeah. And sometimes funny things will come out of it where Jessica's character has a shockingly high knowledge geography. So despite the fact that she's never left the city, apparently she took a lot of geography courses in prep school. So... (laughs) But no, I I love the skill system just because it adds that extra level of of also randomness when you can't take 10 to fail climb checks or fail knowledge religion checks so suddenly someone just can't remember what this person's name is
0: well and skills are just so underrated because it's such a yes a wonderful evocative way to bring in exposition to allow new actions to take place to bring character understanding without explaining it in in a rules heavy sort of way uh, to bring it out narratively I just love the system definitely. And I also love that you rely on so many different skills. Not to disparage others, but we we've also heard and it's everything's a perception check, right? It's a perception.
1: <laughs> it is hands down the most used, yeah.
0: Or stealth. You know, I mean, and everybody does it. They they get into a core three or four skills that they just go into. But I also love that you do a nice job of bringing in some really obscure skills in a way that feel natural and logical in the
1: situation. One of the selling points I think for the mummy's mask adventure path actually is the fact that since it's dealing with a lot of archeology span and a lot of delving into these tombs that I actually get to use the appraise skill all of the time, which is something usually that just kind of gets shuffled to the back that that's not a combat skill. We actually use the background skill mechanic from Unchained, the Pathfinder Unchained book, which, List certain skills as being background skills. They're not the ones that you use in combat. They're things like knowledge history and linguistics and appraise. And the background skill system gives you two extra skill points every level, but you can only put them into background skills. And I really like that system because it fleshes that out. I add in an extra requirement with my players that they have to put one of those ranks in either a profession or a craft or a perform. And so that's why sometimes I think it's been brought up once or twice that Citra has Craft painting. Oh, wow. Yeah, And so it's it's an obscure thing that no one would normally take, that she has craft painting or uh, that Jessica has profession uh, black marketeer from her gang days that she knows her contacts and knows how to smuggle.
0: I have profession emailing. That's what I bring to the... <laughs> But it shows you how the skills checks can bring alive these professions, and yeah, I love if you know. I'm sure there's we mentioned previous there's so many new folks coming to the hobby, and a lot of folks coming through D and D five E, yes. and they're listening to this, and they're like, "Whoa, like Pathfinder has so many different skills. How do you keep it together?" And gosh, a guy like me, I. I love just the scope and the breadth of the rules of Pathfinder and just the ability, the customization and those sort of things. Definitely. So folks are listening by this point, they're getting a nice deep dive into nerdery. And, <laughs> you know, you mentioned Mummy's Mask and just the the Paizo Pathfinder Adventure Path. It's just built around essentially ancient Egypt and those skills. And yes. you can just do so much with the system and the rule set. And so since we're talking about the rule set, that's what I want to talk about next. <laughs> it's, you know, you and, you and I chat in the Nerds on Earth Slack channel. Mm-hmm. And gosh, there's folks that are talking about their 5e games and their homebrews and their all sorts of things. And, you know, if we're listening to the Glass Cannon podcast, we're talking about this stuff all the time. Rules questions come up all the time. Of course. Yeah. And folks, folks will ask me or at, they'll ask Jaws, another person from Nerds on Earth. or And then <laughs> it's almost like a running joke where I just tag you. I'm like, <laughs> we got to ask Rick. I, I appreciate it. There is literally no one who knows the rules better than you. Like you have absolute mastery of the rules. Well, thank you. <laughs> here's, here's what's great is you are not a rules law- lawyer at all. Just the w- same way that Rachel has this gentle way of pulling people into role play. You have this really gentle way of sharing rules, which is great. It's, it's this confidence in the rules that's different from what you see online with the rules lawyer, which is not a mm-hmm. confidence. It's like this desire to have to show how right you are. And so I just want to commend you for that. It's just really great. And <laughs> if you're interested in hearing how a role-playing game can be played with just um, an intention on the rules, listen to Find the Path. Well, thank you. And I just realized there's no question in there whatsoever. So I'm going to turn this into a question, which is, All right. has learning of the rules been... Re- through repetition for you? Is it's just something you enjoy? Like you read rule books for fun because you were a super nerd or do you work hard at it? What, what's your relationship to the rules and how did you get to be this rule, rules master?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's a little column A, little column B. I've been doing this long enough, the 3.5 extended system that uh, you run into the same rules over and over. And so I can spout off, you know, climb check DCs and everything just from memory. But I love rules uh, in large part because uh, I find that the the lighter a system is on the rules, the more a a GM's inherent bias can come in. Mm -hmm. And so if I don't want someone to climb over a brick wall, I can set the DC to 25 if I can have it be whatever difficulty I want it to be. But since I have a rule set that says this is specifically what the climb check for a wall is, then it forces me as a game master to simply adapt and not just bend the rules to my whim. Beyond that, I think it's, I like the idea of fairness. Yeah. I think all in all, that's probably where a lot of my focus is. It's just making sure that for everyone, they're having fun because it's fair.
0: Yeah. And gosh, and that's such a way, oh yeah, you you want it to be fair and- Mm -hmm. And you're like, hey, we're playing by the same rules here, all of us. And so it, <laughs> for folks that are that are new to role-playing games, and rules are something that's – they're out of fashion now, right? I, I see People that a lot. People don't like rules. Yeah. But for – yeah, I mean, you just hear it all the time. And But for folks that are new to it and understanding that we're all playing by the same rules here – is actually something that's helpful, and it knocks down a lot of those little minor quibbles and stuff that comes up at a table.
1: Well, and, and conversely, unless you have one of those right. rules lawyers you were talking about before at your table, you know, if you get a rule wrong, the Paizo rule police aren't going to show up at your door and tell you <laughs> right. that you're having bad, wrong fun. Right, right. I think everyone should the, – the primary goal is to, of course, have fun.
0: Yeah. And enter into it with good faith. It's like, hey, we, we gave it a best shot here in our rules and think everybody can live by that.
1: Of course. And most, I think for most players and most game masters, there's there's nothing worse than realizing after your character has died right. that, uh, right. that you got a rule wrong. And then that's why that character is now dead. Well,
0: particularly at higher level play where, you know, you just have rules stacked upon rules. It just gets more complicated. So.
1: Oh, certainly. And I do also have to say that I benefit from having players that know their characters. And so while I need to know the rule setting for the the system, having players that know what their characters can do and what the specific rules for their classes are. It's kind of a shared experience that right. for any GMs listening, you don't have to know every single class and every single character. You just need to know how the monsters work and trust that the players will know how their abilities are supposed to to function.
0: Yeah, it is really a gift. You you do have a smart table that all the players know their characters well and the rules around the characters well. Absolutely. But I do want to say, you know, you mentioned your twenty years of experience. I have 20 sided die that are twice as old as that. And I still am just dumb as a rock when it comes to rules. And that's one thing I appreciate about you and find the path. You're just smart, man. You just know, you just know
1: a lot of this stuff and I learn through listening and it's great. So but I hope a lot of other people feel the same that, that they're learning the rules better just by listening.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, and I, I hear that a lot just adjacent to your podcast.
1: Podcasts are such a great thing for that, that yeah, I've learned even listening to other actual plays out there. I've learned new storytelling techniques from them, new ways to approach and portray the story for my own podcast just from, from listening to them. And I think the, uh, the rising tide lifts all ships. Yep. We're all improving on one another until we reach some sort of zeitgeist. Well, how about that? How about <laughs> using
0: that terminology? Well, you just you just set up the perfect transition because mm-hmm. uh, you used the word storytelling. Yep. And so I was going to transition to say that, hey, we've talked about the rules, but it's a balance, right? With the story of the game. And if folks are current, I want to be very spoiler free here. Absolutely. If folks are current listeners of the Find the Path, you're at what, 52, I think, episode 52, 53. I don't know where we'll be when folks listen to this. Yeah, we're, we're approaching 54, which is going to be our, our one-year mark. Oh, great. So if folks have listened the entire year, they'll know that recent episodes, you have done some fun little callbacks to story threads that are, what, 25, 30 episodes previous. <laughs> and it's just it's just been great. And, it, and it's been great to see those. You didn't rush them. It, it wasn't heavy-handed. You just, you just played the long game. And so I also want you to address part of the storytelling side. We've talked about the rules, the storytelling side and you as a GM, how you keep track of those story threads just to bring them back later.
1: Well, I'm a huge fan of foreshadowing. It's kind of the, uh, Mm -hmm. it's the simplest like literary device to reward people for listening to previous episodes. And so I like to foreshadow, uh, I like to side shadow, which is basically foreshadowing, but it goes nowhere. (laughs) <laughs> uh which with a storytelling game it's always a little difficult to foreshadow certain things because you never know how the dice are going to end up rolling and so I'm fortunate when when a player decides to take a single course when they decide to to pick up a magic item that 25 episodes later might have an unforeseen consequence that they have that item right yeah that it works out well for me because I didn't I don't know whether or not that was foreshadowing because I'll get to use it later or side shadowing which is i put this in and then nothing comes of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As far as introducing elements uh, I really like to read ahead a few books. One of the examples I can I can give without going too spoilery into details is there's a uh, there's a prominent NPC in book 2, which is where we are right now, that is introduced in book 2 if you're reading through the books, but I decided to introduce early on, I think in the mid teens, I think like episode 13 or 14 because an opportunity presented oh. itself in book 1 and it just kind of it ties everything together. It gives kind of a sense of verisimilitude to the world where this person doesn't come out of nowhere. Everyone already has a pre-existing right. connection to them. And my, my players are yeah. are really good at providing me with uh, with backstories and asking me with their characters' histories. I'm looking for a, a parental figure that's someone in the city that I could work with or like what noble houses are in the city that I can then tie back in.
0: Yeah, that little bit of collaboration.
1: And it works well because I can then start dropping plot lines you know, in the mid twenties that won't pay off unless, until episode 80. Once we get into the third because so I've started introducing elements there. So it's, it's never too early to start foreshadowing what will come next, just so exactly. things don't seem odd or surprising.
0: And that's the tiniest little thing that can be done. Like you said, just reading ahead in the books and just, just giving it just a little bit of forethought. Cause you mentioned you're coming up on the one year anniversary, which is awesome. So I want to, <laughs> like, well, like, What's your hopes and goals going forward? I got a little bit of insider information because because we have chatted as friends, but Very excited. wanted to uh, give you a chance <laughs> to talk about you know future projects or whatever you might be considering or just your hopes for. Where find the path is going.
1: Of course. First off, we can break some news here too. We do have our, our YouTube channel. We're planning on expanding our content on there. It's, it's fallen a little bit by the wayside since we've been focusing so much on the podcast, but we're planning some interview and some coverage at PaizoCon this year. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We're planning on expanding the, the blog this coming year, giving a lot more focus to adding content on there, not just GM tips and advice, which uh, you can get basically anywhere. More specific content towards what people usually ask us about, even rules clarifications, which I get asked fairly commonly. <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah, but no, our our big upcoming project is uh, it's been in the works for a while now. Is doing a a lore series, not related directly to the podcast, but actually to the the setting. Galarian. Yes, I'm a I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of the. I believe the the term that they're using for second edition now is the the Age of Lost Omens setting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we're planning on releasing some episodes that, that tie into what we're doing in Mummy's Mass, but also just exploring the world that we don't get to talk about that's outside of the Osirian setting where we're currently playing. We're hoping to to launch that here shortly and then provide mm-hmm. that on a, uh, I guess, tri-weekly is the proper? I don't know if that's once every three Yeah, and that should hopefully be dropping by June at the latest.
0: Yeah, that makes me happy. I love lore. I'm a total lore nerd, and I love Galarian. I love what Paizo has done there. I'm really excited about how they're setting up their setting for their second edition. Definitely. And since we've talked a little bit about second edition that's coming out this August, yes. this is a big deal in the world oh, yeah. of. I <laughs> mean, people forget that first edition was eating D&D's lunch for a while. It was an, even despite the incredible name recognition of D&D, mm-hmm. Pathfinder first edition was the number one role playing game for a while until fifth edition came out. And so for for Paizo to be coming out with second edition, that's a big deal. And so I don't know. Have you played it any? like, Let's talk about second edition for a little bit. So what are your thoughts?
1: I haven't played second edition. Uh, we did participate in the playtest and gave our feedback and everything there. I'm okay. looking forward to getting a chance to play Second Edition because it will be available at Pisocon this year. Oh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I mean, the game will not be launched, but they will be running tables of Second Edition sure. there. Sure, a little early so, look. Yeah, yeah. So far, my my views on it have been generally positive. They they've streamlined some of the rules. I don't like to use the term simplified mm-hmm. because the depth of the rules is still there they've just taken things thank goodness of course i <laughs> obviously i'm a fan of that uh, that's right <laughs> i don't want any of this rules light, silly business oh no, absolutely and they've <laughs> they've taken some of the rules they've just kind of condensed down the skill system the the three action economy is that they're awesome. using, where instead of having action types yeah the the, just having three actions is a is a great way to encourage players to to get more out of their turn than... I can't count the number of times that a spellcaster has gone, okay, well, I cast this spell. And I'm like, okay, well, you have a move action remaining. Yeah, And they're like, no, nah, I just stand here. So, you know, having a three action Try economy something. means that yeah. people are going to get more use out of that. And one of the things that I've heard brought up on a number of different podcasts, and I can agree with this, is uh, sometimes the combat will get a little bit into a, a five-foot dance around the battlefield. Mm -hmm. that people just kind of stay in place because you want to get full attack actions or you want to be able to cast these longer casting time spells, such as a summoning spell. And I found with second edition, the bit that I played of, there's a lot more mobility. There's a lot more moving around a battlefield. They removed attacks of opportunity from everything. So some creatures, well, yeah, like fighters still get to take attacks of opportunity if you move out of their threatened range, but a, a wizard or a cleric doesn't. And so, now that opens it up to if I need to move past or I need to move around Yeah. that. And and this gets really crunchy here, but uh, the math is a lot tighter. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've really appreciated with Starfinder. Since the Starfinder launched, the math in Starfinder is tight. Yeah. You know, in Pathfinder, you might have a two first level characters. One's a wizard and one's a fighter only have an AC difference of maybe six or seven. But by 15th level, they might have an AC difference of 20 between the two yeah. of their armor classes which means that on the fighter um, attack barely ever hits and on the wizard an attack always hits. And so bringing that math in tighter. I had a chance to talk to Jason Bullman a little bit about this with uh, at Pisocon last year and that their goal was to to make the dice mean more. Hmm. Because it eventually reached the point where some skill checks and such would be passed regardless. It doesn't matter what you roll. You know, some attack rolls for a high level fighter, you're going to hit. It doesn't matter. And so having the dice actually mean more.
0: That's an area I'm a little more on the fence. And the reason I say that mm-hmm. is I hate bounded accuracy. I like things to be swingy and big numbers and because big <laughs> numbers are fun. It's like, woohoo, I just, I rolled an 18 and plus 20. I got a 38, 38's awesome and big damage. And I like those big kind of fun moments. I like what, that type of math brings to the table, but I fully get the underlying mm-hmm. intention behind bounded accuracy to kind of bring that into the center a bit. But I think the I think the little kid in me is going to miss it a little bit.
1: I think one of the things that they're in this I don't know how much of the, the playtest you got to play, and I, I believe that they're keeping this with the new system. One of the things that really I think helps with uh, them having the bounded accuracy is that you get a critical hit or critical success if you exceed the DC. Yeah, that's
0: cool. So getting those really
1: high numbers is still huge because you're getting, it might be to the point where, well, I'm attacking something weaker than I am. I'm attacking something lower level than me with a lower armor class. So I'm criticaling every other swing or two out of three swings, just because my attack bonus is so high. I think it kind of gives that, gives that bonus back in. And conversely, the critical failure chance. Where critically felling a rolling a natural one on a reflex save or a fortitude save yeah. means something really bad, as opposed to just well you fell. Now it might be well you fell, also you're dead. And I
0: like it, and that's a clever <laughs>
1: that's a clever way to give people both
0: to to give people yeah. the bounded accuracy, but also to to introduce an element to keep that element of fun. You know that just surprise mm. and joy that comes through rolling a big number. Absolutely. All right, so. We've been talking about rules enough. <laughs> I could talk all day. <laughs> I me too. But what else are you nerding out on? Besides, uh, outside of Pathfinder, what, what else? What else has
1: grabbed your attention in the in the world of nerds lately? In the world of nerds, um, well, of course, we're living in the golden age of superhero movies, so that's oh, always man. a thing. I already
0: have my tickets yeah. for Endgame.
1: You, you, and we we have a whole crew going, so all five of us are taking up a whole role at the theater. So that's going to be great. Outside of that, the final season of Game of Thrones is out, so that's something I'm paying attention to. Uh, other than that, you know, the podcast takes up uh, a lot of the time, a lot of energy, and of course, keeping up with all the new releases for Pathfinder books takes up a lot of time.
0: Yeah, and I am excited about that. Their, their second edition release.
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh,
0: oh, they, they have, I mean, between the core rulebook and the bestiary, it's a thousand pages. And then yeah. on top of that, you have a lore setting book and then an adventure and a whole new AP. I love Paizo they support the products.
1: I love it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the new setting book there, whoever in their decision-making team decided to come up with the idea of combining the campaign setting and the players companions into these hardback setting great. books, which is what they're going to be releasing. It's a great idea. I think it. it's going to be great going forward. But no, I mean, other than, other than that, I haven't actually been involved in a whole lot of, uh, nerdy things other than my my general love of video yeah. games well what so. and what
0: more do you need than marvel movies i mean that's that's just my marvel, personal opinion the world doesn't need anything more than avengers in game i'm so excited
1: i will give a shout out to some of the recent dc movies oh really what are you even their saying game as what well so. saying? get out of here with that rip <laughs> all right oh come on one, one of them was great <laughs> You have to give me that. <laughs> All right, buddy.
0: It was good to talk to you, man. We gotta talk about we gotta talk Absolutely. about nerdy rules and talk about your crew and mainly we just gotta chat. So I'm I'm thankful for that. And it was fun to talk to you and
1: you know, before before we go, is there anything uh is there anything nerdy out there that you would suggest? Man, for me? I
0: you put you, you put me <laughs> on the spot, and you you know you, you know me. You know I'm just going to say Marvel movies all all the time. But I was I was pretty excited about um yeah. I don't want to go into this too much, but it's been Twitter has made it a little hard to be a Star Wars fan lately. You know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of soured that experience. But Star Wars Celebration recently was great, and the the shows that they announced for Disney Plus, gosh, seven mm-hmm. seven ninety nine. I'm I'm day one on Disney Plus, just rocking out to those new shows. No, they—they they are kind of the
1: all-consuming empire right now. So
0: <laughs> they really are. I—I submit to our overlords. It's I'm—I f- am fine Bow with that. Bow down to
1: Emperor Mickey. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right, Mickey Palpatine.
0: Hey, man, good to chat. So let folks know where they can find you.
1: Of course. Uh, well, we are. The Find the Path podcast is available at uh, our website, which is find-path.com. You can, of course, find us on all of your favorite apps, especially if you're using uh, iTunes and you enjoy what you hear. Please leave us a review because that's always I can never understate how important that is for all podcasts. Do that for every podcast that you listen to because it's great.
0: It's just a little act of kindness. It helps the algorithm.
1: We can be found on Twitter at uh, FindThePathChan. We're on you know, Facebook and the usual social media options if you just search for the Find the Path podcast. Beyond that, we've got our YouTube channel, which we're going to be updating with a whole bunch of new interviews and behind-the-scenes stuff from Pisocon. So that's going to be coming out just the beginning of June. And lore soon. And lore soon. Right in that same feed, right? We're going to be putting that in our Find the Path feed. Uh, if it if it gets really popular, people have a, a strong desire to hear a lot more of it. We may eventually look at making a separate feed for it. But for now, we're going to test the waters and see how people feel. Oh,
0: I think so. Because your after parties, which are the little additional content every three episodes, are just yes. great. A little bit of behind the scenes, I think. I think your listeners will love, they
1: already loved after parties. I think they'll love the lore <laughs> stuff. Oh, so. well, we're definitely hoping so. So, All right, buddy. Good to talk to you, man. All right. Thank you, Clive, And uh, thanks to all the hardworking nerd folk over y'all's way for all the amazing content you keep producing. All right.
0: Thank you, man. Talk, talk soon. <laughs> Take care. You've been listening to the Nerds on Earth podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation. You can find us at nerdsonearth.com. Later nerds.